I'm Dr. John Cook. I'm so glad you joined us today as we continue our series on Systematic Theology 2. We will get into our lesson right after this. I want to say right from the start that nothing that I say is original with me. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. My daddy used to tell me that if it's new, it isn't true, and if it's true, it isn't new. So. I just accept the fact that I'm simply going to be repeating what somebody else has found already. Now join in progress, part one of our study on Systematic Theology 2, lesson number 28. We come today to the study of the doctrine of separation. This is lesson number 28. This is, to say the least, a very unpopular subject. That is to say the doctrine of separation because it goes against the cry of men today for unity, joining everything together. Did our Lord come to unify men? The answer from the scripture, if we study the scripture, would come out to be a definite no. For example, open your Bible and look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Jesus says there, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Notice that the Lord is very specific as to why he had come. This is a purpose that men disagree with, but it is exactly what the Lord said. So we'll let God be true and every man a liar, just as Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us. It is clear in Scripture that God is a divider. For example, look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4, where we read, God divided the light from the darkness. Then look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. You know, it's a good thing that God is a divider. Or we would not have light and we would be underwater. Consider that our purpose is to glorify God as believers in this world. Look in your Bible and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. There the scripture tells us, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Notice it says do all to the glory of God. Everything we do, we are to do so as to glorify God, which includes even our eating and drinking. This makes me think of a man that I dealt with many years ago in our servicemen's ministry in San Diego, California, when I served on the staff of Pomerado Road Baptist Church in Poway, California. I was witnessing to him, and he kept bringing up that he could not be sure whether he would get saved because he didn't know what, how to handle conquering the things in this life that he did as a lost person. Then he got saved after a long discussion. Then he asked me, now what do I do? And I told him, well, whatever you're going to do, pray first 
asking the Lord if what you are about to do will glorify the Savior. Is it something God can bless and use to his glory? Immediately, he realized that this would change what he did or didn't do. Well, if, if we also would just seek to be sure that whatever we do or don't do glorifies the Savior. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 tells us that all things were created by him and for him. Realizing these things, these facts, should naturally require that we live for the Savior. Because if we were created by him and for him, then we should live for him. When we live for the Savior, we will not and cannot live for the world. So we will have to, out of necessity, separate from the world and separate to the Savior. God wants me to live for him. He wants you as a Christian to live for him and for him alone. This is very evident when we look at the scriptures. Open your Bible and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Listen to what it says. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. All these questions require a negative answer. We have no fellowship of this world. We have no concord with, the, with this world or the, uh, the unbeliever or with anything in this world. So the answer to all of these questions, all of these questions require a negative answer. Stating flatly, none. The scripture then goes on to say in verses 17 and 18, wherefore, or realizing that these do not fit each other, then we are commanded to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God's children are to live for the Lord and unto the Lord. Look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 8. There we read, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord and are to live like it. This makes me think of when my wife and I got married. We pledged ourselves each to the other, promising to keep ourselves unto the other and unto the other alone, only, so long as we both shall live. Now, if it's important to keep that promise to my earthly partner, then how much more to my heavenly Savior, who loved me and gave himself for me?
Hey, this is John Cook again. I want to thank you for joining us in this podcast. I encourage you to join us in the next podcast as we continue our series on Systematic Theology 2. Hey, while you're here, why don't you click that subscribe button and follow us, and you'll be notified just as soon as another podcast is released. Appreciate it. God bless.